Everybody good? Awesome. Let's, uh, let's find our seats and let's prepare for the Word of God. Who's ready for the Word today? All right. Awesome. It's been a long, long, long time since I've had to go uh, double Dutch, double back on uh, Sundays, uh, Sunday morning and then Sunday night. It's not even Sunday night. It's at 4 o'clock uh, to, to get back for church, but it's a special occasion. And uh, as Lindsay pointed out, a, a unity service uh, that our church is having with City Fellowship. Um, now, I know some of you are kind of in the mindset of thinking, well, I'll see how my afternoon goes, and then I'll make a decision about 3, 3.30 if I'll end up going or not. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot. I need as many of you there as possible. So uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to go ahead, raise your hand if you're going to go. What? You guys already got me fooled, don't you? You're like, Pastor, have more faith than us, would you? All right, I'll do that from now on. Well, it's good, it's good. Uh, I saw everybody's hand that was raised. I remember. <laughs> All right, well, it's, I'm glad. I'm, I really hope you can make it. It's going to be a really good time, really good experience for us to do that. Appreciate the prayer. Pastor Lindsay prayed, definitely inspired by the Holy Spirit. I was going to pray that same prayer when I got up here. And so, praise God for that. And um, it's good to be in God's presence. His presence just seems to have a way of melting away stuff, heaviness, issues, problems that we think about that's probably on our mind and different things like that, stuff that's ahead of us in this coming week and what have you. But that's why we have to be in His presence. Not only does it strengthen us, but it also brings a peace to our life and helps us to see things in the right perspective. Amen? Let me invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be. Last week, uh, I started a a message. I wasn't sure really how many weeks it would take. Uh, It it might take more than what I had planned for, but we... um, we're studying one particular story, and we're going to get to that story here in a minute, and I'll elaborate on that. While you're turning to 1 Samuel 17, I want to turn your attention to the screen to Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 37. The scriptures tell us, the Apostle Paul writes, he, he says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or that we are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? So the question was, can anything ever separate us just because we go through opposition? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And in his answer in verse 37, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? says with a resounding, no. Despite all these things, despite all of these things he laid out and then some, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Let me pray. God, we take a moment this morning as we are in your presence to pause to ask you to help us to ponder on what your word is saying today. 
Lord, any one of us, perhaps a lot of us, can be overwhelmed with many things, especially things that are against us. But your word is very clear that we have an overwhelming victory in Christ who loves us. So I pray that you would open our eyes to that realization, that revelation, that Christ loves every single one of us. And because of that, we can have faith to believe that we can walk in overwhelming victory and be an overcomer in this world. So now, Holy Spirit, come. Bring the Word of God alive to our ears and our eyes and light a fire in our heart so that we won't be the same when we leave here today. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The late Oswald Chambers penned in his devotional, what we call a devotional, my utmost for his highest. He wrote these words. He actually invented a word, and that is this. He said, no power on earth or in hell can conquer the Spirit of God in a human spirit. It is an inner unconquerableness. Let that sink in. No power on earth or in hell can conquer the Spirit of God in a human spirit. It is an inner unconquerableness. I love the story here in 1 Samuel 17. We're looking through the story of David and Goliath, a very familiar story, especially for those of us who have been in church quite a long time. It's one of those stories you were told back in, way back in Sunday school, way back in chil- children's church, and all the way, all the way through. And it's one of those stories that um, just kind of has a way of hanging with us. I like this particular story. It's one of my favorite stories because I like stories about underdogs coming back and winning. I love movies like that. I love stories like that. I love to see the underdog come back and take over and actually win. It does something for my heart. And this story is full of all kinds of things. It's, it's full of challenge. It's, it's full of jealousy. It's full of fighting. All the guys are like, yeah. It's full of all kinds of of things. It's it's full of taunting, it's full of resistance, it's full of opposition, but the biggest thing that it's full of is an overwhelming victory that we see God give a little shepherd boy on behalf of his people. You know, God is a God of victory, a God who overcomes. And he has called us and labeled us overcomers and more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, as Paul just stated in Romans chapter 8. No doubt there's opposition in our life. There are three main things that, op- that oppose us in our, in our entire lifetime, and that is this. One is the world. The world is set dead against the ways of God. So if we're, gonna, if we're determined to follow the Lord, we're going we're gonna to have to face opposition in the system and the pattern of this world. And that's why Paul tells us in Romans 12, stop conforming to the pattern of this world, but rather let your life be transformed by the changing of the way you think. Let God change your life. The, the devil, no doubt, is one that's against us. The devil is against people. He's against 
believers. But we're told of several different things about him. We're told to resist him. We're told to stand firm against him. We're told to watch out for him. And we can't let our guard down. But then we have our flesh. Our flesh is against us. Our own flesh. And then we've got the flesh of everybody else that we got to put up with, right? Yeah. But here's what God tells us to do. Actually, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5. He says, actually, you know what? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the right time God will lift you up and exalt you because He cares for you. See, people will get on our nerves. We'll get on other people's nerves and we'll get on our own nerves sometimes. But God says, if you want my grace to be in your life, then you've got to humble yourself because He says, I only give grace to the humble but I oppose the proud. Proud people never get the grace that God so desperately wants to give to us. But humble people always get God's help. Amen? Last week we took the first 19 verses of this story and we talked about one particular subject matter and that was fear, facing our fears. The Bible's clear that fear hinders and fear cripples us. Today we're going to take the, the, the next few verses here and, and we're going to cover a topic called faith. Familiar to us, faith. The thing about faith is this, is faith moves. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 17, he said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, then you can tell that mountain to move and that mountain will move from here to there. Faith moves things. Because faith matters to God. In fact, it matters so much. It's got a whole, Hebrews has a whole chapter dedicated to faith. Chapter 11. Try, look at that chapter and study that chapter. You'll be inspired by the stories that are involved in it. But one particular statement, verse 6, says that it is impossible to please God without faith. You see, many of us try to please God by our actions of trying to do all the right things. Faith is action-oriented. But it must, all of our things must be done by faith in God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. For we must believe that He is and that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, God rewards those who seek after Him. That that happens. But it's faith. We've got to have faith. And James, the Apostle James is clear and he says, Hey, guess what? Faith without works is dead. Y'all been in church? Faith without works is dead. So it leads us to believe and understand that faith is action-oriented. So we're going to look at some action-oriented faith by a little shepherd boy. I call him little. He really is. He was the youngest. He was the smallest. And he was already picked to be king, anointed to be the next king of Israel at about an age of around 16 years old. That's crazy. But when God wants somebody for something, He doesn't hesitate to go after it and make it known. And God has made it known that He is after you, He's after me, He's after the world, not to destroy us, but to save us. God's heart and desire is to see that all men would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen? So we're going to look at some action-oriented faith here. Verses 20 through 32, for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase these and stick to one verse here. 
By this time in the story, here's what's happening. Uh, David's father, Jesse, has said, Jesse, I want you to go and I want you to take care of your brothers. They're in battle. They're, in, they're already set to fight the Philistines and they're ready to go against them. Against them. And I want you to take this food and all these things to go check on them. And then I want you to bring a report back to me to let me know how they're doing. So David gets there. He, he starts to see everybody in battle, in battle formation and all these things. And it, it's pretty exciting. And he runs through and finds his brothers and hears some things going on. And one of the biggest things he hears is the giant Goliath, the champion, over nine feet tall, Shouting, He's been doing this for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been shouting to the armies of God saying, Can anybody come and fight me? Send me a man to fight me and I'll take him on. If I win, you serve us. If you win, we'll serve you. And that sort of thing is going on. And he's defying the armies of the living God. He's defying God's people in God's name. And David hears what's going on and he's trying to find out what is going to happen. This can't keep, how long has this been going on? He finds out for 40 days this has been happening. And he's like, you guys are still letting this go on? And so this is kind of the story, the background story to what's happening. And, and, and in fact, in the middle of this defiance, David is on the scene. And it says that the whole army of Israel runs away in fear from this giant. And David's oldest brother chastised him and says, hey, you're just around here just to kind of see what's happening. And then David speaks up in verse 32. Verse 32, David, David is, had been summoned to come speak to the king. The king wants to talk to him. And he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told King Saul. He said, I'll go fight him. He said, don't worry about him, I'll go fight him. Here's what David did. David drew a line in the sand. Anybody ever heard of that adage? Draw a line in the sand. It's been around a long, 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 long time. But here's what David did. David's faith caused him to act, to take a stand for what was sacred in his life. And we can learn by David's faith action here that you and I need to have faith to do the same. If we're going to be an overcomer, we're going to have an overcoming spirit, then you and I need to have faith to take a stand for the sacreds in our life. The title of this message is there straight out of Bethlehem. Subtitle, An Overcoming Spirit is what we're hanging on to and what we're talking about. Have faith to take a stand for the sacreds in your life. Here I quickly thought of four sacreds. There's many more sacreds, obviously, you and I could come up with, but I just, I just want to hit on four of those real quick. Four sacreds that, that we need to have some faith to stand up for in this, in this day and time. Number one, the sacred thing is this. We need to stand up for the sacredness of our marriage. If you're married and you want to be married, you need to stand up for the sacredness of it and what it entails according to the Word of God. Amen? You need to stand up for it by fighting for your marriage. I know there are marriages all around the world, and I know there's some in our churches that, that, are, that are struggling and, and that, are, that are barely hanging on and you're going through some opposition right now, but I want to encourage you. You need to fight for your marriage. You need to fight for it. We need to aim our life towards what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians chapter 5, and that is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Instead of trying to get your own way all the time, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as you submit to Him. You want arguments and constant conflict to go away in your household? It it happens real fast when we do this. Just submit to one another. I don't mean you lay down and lie like a dog and on a mat let everybody run over you. That's not what I'm talking about. Because Christ doesn't do that when we submit to Him. See, when we submit to Him, He pulls us up. And so when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that means, hey, I need you and you need me. The Bible's clear. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. But also it says this, husbands, also love your wives as Christ loves the church. See, if you really want to love your spouse, then you got to love Jesus first. And if you say you love Jesus, then it's not going to be very hard to love your spouse. That's why we got to have God's agape love, unconditional love in our hearts. If we really want to love Jesus, then we're going to love our spouse. If we really want to love our spouse, then we need to have the love of Christ fill our hearts. How we fight for our marriage, one big way, pray. I mean, that's one thing MC Hammer had right. We got to pray just to make it today. And if I have my backup singers, they would say, pray, pray. But I think oftentimes we, prayer is one of the last things we do. We like to fight, we like to talk, we like to tell people about all our problems, but we oftentimes don't first tell God. Pray. Prayer is what will turn everything around. And I hardly ever recommend going to see movies. But I will recommend one. I just saw it. Friday night, The War Room. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was kind of under the radar coming into the movie scene. I think there's only one place in Jackson showing it. Humboldt shows it. I was there at Humboldt. It was full of people watching this movie. It's based on prayer. I won't tell you the plot. I won't tell you the outcome. All I will tell you is this. You need to go see it. You need to go see it. It's very powerful, very moving, very inspiring movie. But prayer Folks, that's how we fight for our marriage. That's how we fight. You see, we're talking about standing up for the sacreds in our life. Is there anything sacred in this world anymore? Sometimes it doesn't seem that way, does it? All these things that we talk about, that I'm talking about, that we read about from God's Word, it sounds like a lot of times it's just not really sacred anymore. And the reason it's not sacred anymore is because it's not sacred to us anymore. It's always been sacred to God and will always be sacred to God, but when it stops being sacred to God's people, it no longer is sacred to this world. You and I are the only ones capable, God's people, the only ones capable of standing up for the sacreds in our life. And marriage is sacred. Marriage is worth fighting for and standing up for because marriage is a sacred covenant. Here's another sacred we need to stand up for. That is our family. Amen? Our family. We need to stand up for our family. How do we stand up for the sacredness of our family? We need to to lead our households. 
whether you're married or you're single, you've got a household, lead your family. And we need to aim our life after what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. There was no hesitancy. There was no maybe. There was no, if I feel like it, Joshua was telling his people, you need to make a decision. You're torn between two decisions right now, but you need to make up your mind what you're going to do. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And let me tell you, households, moms and dads together and alike, by yourself or not, you need to have this down in your heart. If you want your family to ever have a chance, then you need to have that kind of conviction in your spirit that as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That we might not be perfect at it. Nobody is. Join the rest of us. It was so chaotic this morning in my house trying to get ready to come to church. I thought, Lord, have mercy, and i got to preach twice today. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Stand up for the sacredness of your family. Lead them to church. Lead your family to the Lord. Don't let, I'm going to step on some toes, don't let your kids determine whether or not you come to church. And kids, don't let your parents determine whether or not you come to church. Shame on you if your kids are saying, I want to go to church, I want to go to church. And you look at them, you tell them, no, I'm too tired. You do that for very long, and the outcome is pretty clear. Amen? And your kids tell you, I'm too tired to go today. No, you yank them up, and you put clothes on them, and you come to church. It ain't that hard. I didn't say it was easy, because there are some days, Lord knows, we ain't fit to be in church. Where I need to, I feel like I got to get saved and I'm the preacher. <laughs> I say that to let you know hey, we all got our problems. Everybody's got problems. But let's not let our problems become bigger than our faith in God. Let's lead our family to the Lord, let's lead our family to the church. Amen. We need to stand up for it. If you don't stand up for it, there's a whole lot of people in this world who are on TV, on the radio, on, on all kinds of stations that are standing up for our families every day, and they're not standing up for the right reasons. Let's stand up for our, the sacredness of our family because family is a sacred community. Another sacred is this, our integrity. I can tell you this right now. I'm just not going to get through this message today. I'm just going to be honest with you. I had three big points to make, and I'm only on one point. I'm just not going to get through it. I'll just have to settle with that in my own mind, and uh, we'll pick up next week. Somebody's ready to get out of here. That's right. Integrity. A sacred worth standing up for these days is our integrity. Amen? We need to protect it. 
We need to protect our integrity. We need to aim our life towards what Proverbs 10, 9 tells us, and that's this. People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. Mm. People with integrity walk safely. You know, if you've got integrity, it don't matter what anybody else says about you because you can walk safely. Doesn't mean you won't have to walk through some treacherous issues or difficult days or accusational situations that might come against you, but if you've got your integrity, the Word of God says you will walk safely through it. And that'll happen. That'll happen. We need to protect our integrity. I like what pastor and author, author Mark Batterson says. He says, integrity isn't sexy. <laughs> he says, it's not something that's celebrated a lot today. But it is the moral glue that holds all other virtues together. See, we try to hold our checkbook together and ourself together and our house together and our car together, our, our clothes together. But if we don't have integrity, none of the outward appearance matters for nothing. Why do you think David was the one picked out of all of his other seven brothers who were older and wiser and stronger and bigger and more experienced and skilled at him and had the stature of a king? Why do you think David was the one picked? Because God told Samuel the prophet, he said, I don't look at the appearance of a person. I go straight down into the middle of a hole of the heart and I look and see what's inside. He said, people look at the outward, but I, the Lord, look on the inside. See, if you've got integrity, the rest of your life will hold up. And he says this, he says, you will never fulfill your God-given destiny without integrity. You will never fulfill your God-given destiny without integrity. If you're always looking to, to, uh, to, to do the... Uh, find court, uh, excuse me, uh, shortcuts through things, then you're going to shortcut your destiny. If you're trying to always get through things and manipulate certain situations just to get it to come out your way, guess what? You will shortcut your destiny. If you try to hide and cover it up so nobody else sees it or knows it, guess what? You will shortcut your destiny destiny will never fulfill your God-given destiny without integrity it just won't happen he says Mark Batterson says when you live with integrity you live under God's authority when you live with integrity you live under God's authority he shelters you he protects you he stands up for you and he takes the pressure off of you See, that's how David was starting to feel and sense in this, in this moment, in this battle. Nobody else was standing up for the sacred of God's people, God's nation, and their faith, and their history, and their legacy. Nobody was standing up. Everybody was running away. But David had drew a line in the sand, and he told King Saul, I will fight this giant. I will take a stand for the sacred that's in our life right now. 
And you, when you live with integrity, God is the one who will fight your battle for you. So many of us are trying to fight our own battles these days. But if we will walk in the integrity of our godly character, then guess what? God will fight your battles for you. You'll be amazed. You'll be surprised at the outcome that God can bring. Doesn't ever mean you won't ever have to go through things. That doesn't mean you'll bypass a process. But what will happen is God will fight for you. God will shelter you. God will protect you. God will stand up for you. And God will take the pressure off of you if you just walk with integrity. Because people who walk with integrity, they walk safely. Integrity is worth protecting because integrity is a sacred conscience. Integrity is a sacred conscience. Number four, the fourth. Everybody with me? Did I knock you out? You asleep? Some of you like you're on Benadryl. Lord, I had to take some yesterday. I was trimming my hedges, and I got stung by a wasp. I'm allergic to wasp. On my knuckle, it's a little swollen, not too bad. But I knew I said, if I have to immediately take Benadryl. Thank God I was at home. Went in, took Benadryl, went back out, cleaned up, put some other medicine on it. But man, I felt like a zombie for about six hours after that. That stuff will flat mess you up. But uh, anyway, some of you like you're on Benadryl this morning. Integrity is a sacred conscience. It's worth protecting. Anybody getting anything out of this? All right, the last, the fourth sacred. Again, I know there's a lot more sacreds we could add to this. Feel free, add it to yourself, add it to your notes. Only I'm going to touch on four. The fourth sacred worth standing up for is this, and that is faith. Our faith. Christians are being attacked all around the world. Certainly persecution is more rampant in other parts of our world than they are in our own United States. But we have our own set of issues and problems and persecutions that go on in our own country. And we don't need to compare our life to somebody else's because, yeah, it's probably always going to be worse somewhere else. But we do need to take to heart that, hey, we do have faith. We are a Christian nation, are we not? We are a nation that was founded and governed on the principles of God's holy word, amen? And so from our ancestors back, and whether all the history that's good, that's bad, and it's got a whole lot of ugly in it, I know that, it does. But one thing that is for sure is the faith that rests in the bedrock of our nation, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I, as believers, we need to stand up for the sacredness of our faith. We need to model our faith again. There's too many silent believers in our country these days. We don't need to wait for the outcome. We need to begin to pray and seek the face of God and ask God to turn things around and for Him to give us a plan and Him to propel our life and him to revive our spirits and for him to shake off the heaviness that's on us and on our country and on our people and in our in our nation as believers and we need to believe that God is still alive and that we need to model our faith in our country again amen 
It's a, it's a sacred that we must stand up for. We must stand up and model our faith. We need to aim our life towards what Hebrews 11 talks about. It's the chapter of faith. It's called the Hall of Faith. There's all kinds of stories in there about, the, about people in the Old Covenant who had faith. And they endured a whole lot of stuff. They went through a whole lot of stuff. But that's what faith does. It goes through things. Faith moves. It's impossible to please God without faith. But here's the thing about faith. We don't need to be ashamed of it, nor do we need to apologize for it. While understanding this, we also don't need to flaunt it. We don't need to go all crazy on our city and our country and just slam our faith down people's mouths. What would happen if I took a 24-ounce ribeye and I tried to cram it down your mouth? You'd think, one, you're trying to kill me. (laughs) You're trying to choke me to death. You wouldn't get to taste it, right? You wouldn't get to appreciate it. You wouldn't get to smell it. And you certainly wouldn't digest it properly. So the outcome won't be good. See, a lot of times that's what a lot of Christians are guilty of doing, slamming Christ and the cross down people's mouths. That's called flaunting it. We don't flaunt our faith like we got some new sports car and we're driving around town in our pimped-up Lamborghini and want the world around us to stand in awe. Ooh, look at that. Not everybody can afford that, but everybody can have access to Jesus. But we need to be sure that we're the kind of Christians that can give Jesus to the people in a way that is called love. Love these days, I know it gets confusing out here and a lot of things we hear on TV and all this stuff. Just because you disagree with somebody's choices and lifestyle doesn't mean you don't love somebody. Right? And I know the world's got this all mixed up and media's put a buzz out there and try to create all kinds of contention and frustration with people and all this stuff that if you disagree with me, you must hate me. You must be judging me. Now, if I don't tell you the truth, then that means I don't love you. The Bible says we must speak the truth in love. So we don't flaunt our faith. We don't apologize for it. We're not ashamed of it, but we don't flaunt it around like it's the next best thing. But we do wear it. We do model it. We do share it. We do speak of it. We don't apologize for our faith in thinking, well, I might offend somebody. You could offend somebody just by walking in a room. You could offend somebody with that hairstyle you got. You could offend somebody with that, those clothes. You think about it, I'm being serious. We could offend anybody with anything. But we're going to get all crazy and hush-hush because we don't want to offend somebody about our faith. Right? Right? Amen? Faith, it needs to be modeled. 
We need to let our life, the way we live it, do the talking for us. Anybody ever been around a person who talks a good game? They call them smack talkers. Boy, smack talkers, mmm. I never have been a smack talker, but I have played against some smack talkers, and all it wants me to, all it makes me want to do is beat them to the ground in whatever thing we're doing, basketball, baseball, football, whatever. It might just be paper football, but if you a smack talk me, then I'm going to do all I can to beat you in that game. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie about it, but I'm going to do my darndest to outwit you and outplay you and come out on top. Now, that doesn't always happen, right? Because smack talkers get all up in our mind. That's why they do that stuff. A lot of times, most smack talkers, they got the goods to back it up, but not always. Not always. Not all smack talkers have the goods to back up what they're saying. That's why we need to not be smack-talking faith Christians. We need to let our life do the talking for us. We don't need to be telling people, I'm going to pray for you, and we forget about them. Amen? You don't need to be telling somebody, hey, I'm all for you, and I'm going to be there right by you when you go through whatever it is you're going through, and then when they go through whatever it is they're going through, you're nowhere to be found. Right? Let's let our life do the talking for us. Amen? In how we live. Faith is worth modeling because faith is a sacred commitment. It's a sacred commitment. Now, I'm I'm not going to keep on going because I I got two more things, and I'll just get carried away with y'all today. I'm excited because I get to preach twice today. I want this to sink in. I want this to sink in because I think too many times we don't stand up for the sacreds. We sit down and we remain silent. And this is a day and time where we don't need to remain silent. This is a day and time where we need to stand up for the sacreds in our life. Amen? It's called faith, having faith. Faith moves us. Faith makes us do the things that God says to do. You see, here's the thing about faith. Faith is not motivated by how we feel. Too many times, I know, we all, myself included, we, do, we only do the things we feel like doing, right? Most of the time, we only do what we feel like like doing. We don't feel led to do that. I don't feel led to pray for them. I don't feel led to love them. I don't feel led to serve them. I don't feel led to talk to them. I sure don't feel led to be nice to them. Most of the times we don't feel led to do any of that stuff, which is why we must function by faith. The lead out. Get the lead out. <laughs> That's right. Faith moves us. See, if we wait around to do all the right things that we are waiting to feel led to do, we're going to be left in the dust. Jesus will come back and he'll be looking around because when he comes back, the Bible says he's looking for those who have faith. 
Those who have faith. The Bible says in First Chronicles 69, maybe Second Chronicles 69, somebody with a smartphone needs to check that for me. But it says, the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro all across this world, all across this earth, looking for the hearts of those who are loyal to him so that he can strengthen them. You want God to come in and strengthen your life? You want God to come in and strengthen your marriage? You want God to come in and strengthen your family? You want God to come in and strengthen your soul? You want God to come and strengthen your faith so you can believe and have hope and overcome? Here's how it works. Have a heart that is loyally committed to Him. And not waiting for the opposite, not waiting for Him to do His thing before we do our thing. Faith doesn't do that. Faith says, yes, God, before you even see the outcome. Faith says, I trust you, God, even before I know how it's all going to come out. Faith says, yes, God, I'm going to stand with you and stand on your word, even though I really don't know what I'm going to walk through or how I'm going to feel after the fact, but I'm going to have faith to believe and trust you that you will fight my battle for me, that you will fight my marriage with me. You will help me hang in there. You will help me hang on. You will help my kids have a humble heart. You will help my children be safe and protected, God, that, Lord, I know I'm going through this difficult thing at work and everybody around is against me because they think I screwed it all up, but you know the integrity of my heart. I didn't mess it up. Everybody else is jacked up, God, but I have integrity, and I'm going to walk safe through this storm right now. And I'm not going to be ashamed of my faith in you. If somebody asks me, Lord, help me, I'm going to be nice to them, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to give an ear to them and listen to their problem and let them know You might not know it or me believe it, but I know a God who is for me and not against me. And you might not understand it right now, but your problem is in God's hands because I'm taking it to his throne. But how do we get that kind of help? We get that kind of help as we have a loyal and committed heart to God. David, mm, that's why David was picked. That's why David stood up for the sacred on that hot and sunny and dusty day out in the valley because it was said years later about David. David had a heart after God's own heart. Now you know David's life. He had a lot of mess ups. But it never took away that David had a heart after God's own heart. And that's why God showed up strong. And we'll pick up on that next Sunday. So you got to come back for next Sunday, straight out of Bethlehem, and overcoming spirit. Let's stand to our feet.